Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Difference Makers series, which walks through the first two chapters of the book of Exodus, seeing how anyone can make a difference in the lives of others. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, we are in a series we just started um, really last week, uh, just four weeks in the book of Exodus. We're doing five different series this year. I talked about this at the beginning of the year. We're only studying out two books on our Sunday mornings. Of course, uh, we went through Ephesians, and now we're in Exodus. We'll be back to Ephesians here in just a couple of weeks. We're going to bounce back and forth. But last week, we started a series in the book of Exodus, just the first two chapters, four messages, and we entitled the series Difference Makers, recognizing that every one of us probably know that uh, there are people looking up to us. There are people who follow us. And I think that what I said last week, any thinking person is going to have a desire to be a difference maker in someone else's life. And I say any thinking person, not in sarcasm. I mean, there's, you know, if, if you're just a person who's going through life and not thinking about it, then you're not going to want to invest in people. But if you stop and you think about it, then every parent in here is going to want to make a difference in their children's life. And every, every uh, um, recycled teenager in here is going to want to make a difference in a young couple's life. And every young couple is going to want to make a difference in a teenager's life. And so I hope that we have a, a, an auditorium filled this morning with people who desire to make a difference. And I know that God wants to do that through us, but we learned a couple of things last week. Number one, we can't make a difference unless we know the difference maker. Hey, you really won't be used to make a difference unless you first have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And I hope if you're with us in person this morning or even online and you don't know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, I hope that today would be the day that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Man, that is the best decision. That is the, the most life-changing, impactful, eternity-changing decision that you could ever make is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so we won't make a difference unless we know the difference maker. But then last week we started here in Exodus. And we opened up to Exodus chapter number one, and we were in the first eight verses. We learned about Joseph, who made a difference for generations. He left a legacy. And we looked at Joseph's life, and we discovered four simple decisions that Joseph made that helped him be a difference maker. We know that he was unshakable in his faith. Man, if there was anybody who went through deep trials, it was Joseph, wasn't it? Man, being sold by his brothers and and betrayed and lied about and in slavery and prison, all that stuff. And yet through it all, he was unshakable in his faith. The second thing we realized last week is Joseph made a decision. He was unwilling to be bitter. He was unwilling to be bitter. What does that mean? In the midst of all of his turmoil, he didn't blame people and strike people. Joseph just said, God, I trust you and I'm willing to forgive. And remember that as he stood before his brothers and he said to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we just dove in last week to understand that bitterness can truly ruin a life. It really can. Hebrews nails it right when it says that the root of bitterness, it can take root and many people are defiled because of it. We learned that he was unshakable in his faith. He was unwilling to be bitter. We saw thirdly last week that he was unselfish in his words. After, After his brothers were restored, remember, he just spoke kindness to them. 
And he understood that if I'm gonna make a big difference, it's not, about, it's not about just being kind one time. It's about exemplifying those kind words. And he did that. Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that as he spoke to them, he spoke graciously and kindly to them continuously. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can think, all right, I'm, I can forgive those who've hurt me, but next time I see them, I mean, I'm just not gonna talk to them. You know, you have that, well, I'll be kind by not saying anything. You know, mama always said, if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. So I'm not gonna say anything at all because I can't say something nice. Uh, man, Joseph's mindset was, you know what? I'm gonna make a difference by being unselfish with my words. And then fourthly, last week, we saw that he was unwavering in his purpose. He just believed that God had purpose in his trials. He believed that God was at work no matter what was going on. And his purpose ultimately was to point to and glorify God and you look at every stage, of Dave, every stage of Joseph's life, he just pointed to God. I hope that'd be your desire. God, every stage of life I'm in, every trial I'm in, would you help me just to point to you? This morning, we're gonna come back into Exodus chapter number one. We're gonna begin reading in verse number six. But before we get there, have you ever seen, um, <clears throat> you ever seen those parents they may be new parents and they have a brand new baby and then that baby becomes a toddler and kind of crawling around the living room or walking around that living room. Have you ever seen the parents, and usually it's the dad, that wants to prove that his kid likes him more than the mom? And I'm not talking about when Robert preached a few weeks ago and showed us the video of when his kids all said dad-da first, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you have the two parents in a room and... Maybe you've seen it with a child. No doubt you've seen somebody do this with a pet. And uh, the, the child or the pet will be in the center of the room. And, and maybe mom and dad will be on one side or the other with friends. And dad will go, hey, watch this. You know, junior, hey, son, come here. And the son turns. And then mom's like, oh, no. Hey, hey, son, come here. And then they begin like this little battle of the will. Like who does, who does, who does the child like more? Well, he likes the parent he's gonna go to more, you know? And so they're kind of vying for attention. You've seen it with two kids and a pet. You know, well, our dog, he likes me better. No, he doesn't, he likes me better. No, he doesn't, he'll come to me first. No, he won't, he'll come to me first. And then two siblings begin to go, you know, Fido, I don't Fido's the only name I can think of. <laughs> Whatever. You know, Fido, come here, come here. And they're just kind of arguing, vying. You know what that dog is thinking? Well, the dog is a bad example, but you know what that child is thinking? The child, when mom and dad are arguing, when they're, they're kind of going back and forth, who's going, who, who am I going to pay attention to? You know, the child is thinking, whose voice do I listen to? And who do I tune into? You know, as we come to Exodus chapter number one, I wanna ask you a question this morning. And that question is simple. Whose voice do I listen to? And whose voice do you listen to? And I'm not talking about a mom or a dad. I'm talking about two separate entities that scream for your attention. Two separate entities that scream for you to follow them. This morning, I just wanna ask you, who are you gonna listen to? Exodus chapter one, would you stand with me? And let's go to verse number seven. Exodus chapter one and verse number seven. Remember, the book of Exodus uh, takes place about 400, 430 years after Joseph. The people that knew Joseph have all died off. But the Hebrew people, 430 years ago, what started as about 70 to 75 people coming into the land of Egypt, now it's about 1.5 to 2 million people. 430 years 
the population historians believe would have grown by that much. 1.5 to 2 million people, upwards probably even near uh, 2.1 or 2.2 million people now. Exodus chapter, chapter one and verse number seven. And the children of Israel, they were fruitful and they increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land, it was filled with them. That word filled, it just means populated. I mean, there was a large group of Hebrews now in Egypt. Now, there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel, they are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that... When there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they, the Egyptians, did set over them, the Hebrews, taskmasters, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasures, cities, Pithom, and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians, they made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of, the, of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Puah. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them upon the stools, they're about to give birth. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives, they feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt, he called for the midwives and, and he said unto them, why have you done this thing and have saved the, the men children alive? And the midwives, they said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women, they're not as the Egyptian women. For they're lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. They, they have the baby before we can even get there. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. This morning, as we come to Exodus chapter number one, we're going to see a narrative unfold before our eyes this morning. It's a sad story. It's one that if you've been in church for any length of time, or if you were a, a, a child going to junior church or ever went to a vacation Bible school, if you've been around church at all, you've heard some of this story. But today, it's not just a story of a Pharaoh and a people. I see this morning the story of two voices. Two voices crying out, and I ask you the question, which voice are you going to listen to today? We're gonna learn more about that. So let's pray and get right in the word of God this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? You could pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. 
God, please speak to me today. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. I'll respond to you today. Dear Lord, we come before you again. Thank you for our time already in worship. Thank you for how you've spoken to our hearts already of the worthiness of who you are. And God, I pray that uh, that theme would continue to flow through the message and into the invitation and into our week this week, Lord, that you are worthy. And so God, I pray that you'd speak to us right now, help us to hear from you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. So here we are, over 400 years after Joseph. The people of Egypt, they have, uh, they have forgotten about the, uh, the impact that Joseph made in their lives. Of course, if you were to go back, we know last week that Joseph was used by God to preserve not only the Egyptians, but really the known world. And so here we are 400 years later, and that's forgotten about. And now this Egyptian pharaoh, he, he sees the Israelites as a threat. Now, we can know that the Hebrew people, at this time, they're not a threat. They're not raising up arms. They're not going against uh, Pharaoh for anything. They're not trying to conquer and get land. They're just kind of dwelling within the land. So these Israelites, they're not a threat, but the Pharaoh of Egypt, he is suspicious of this growing population within his borders. And so I want you to see first with me today what we're calling an attack, an attack against God's people an attack against God's people. In fearing the people of God, Pharaoh, he comes up with this, really this disturbing plan to enslave the people of God. Pharaoh feels like, of course, he is no longer in a position to honor their history. He, this Pharaoh from the text, he doesn't know about their history. He knew not Joseph. And so now this Pharaoh, because of his own insecurities, he decides to prove his strength by enslaving these people who aren't a threat. He planned to secure God's people by dominating them and and enslaving them. He was proving that he was stronger by a power trip. I'll just say on kind of just on a leadership front, that's poor leadership. This was him saying, I'm the boss, you will obey me. This is that, this is that mindset of, I'm the parent and I'm in charge and everything I say, go. And the, the teenager who's now 17 has no right to even just ask a question. That's for a different story. Apparently that didn't go over well. Leadership, good leadership says, let let me lead, let me show. This leader said, let me boss, let me enslave, let me entrap. So he sets taskmasters and he lays out this plan to his people to enslave the people. Many scholars believe that this enslavement would have probably gone on for about 100 years and a new pharaoh would come on scene. Now, we don't know that from the passage because it just tells us the pharaoh. 
So it could be a new Pharaoh later on, or it could be the same Pharaoh just 70 years later. But we do know that they would be enslaved for years, so much so that it says that the more that they afflicted them, the more that the people increased and multiplied and grew. So the Egyptians, they take physical control of the people of God. They put taskmasters over them. They are now in bondage. They are being beaten. They are in slavery. They are used to build the Pharaoh's cities. But the people grow, and we're gonna see this more in a minute. They multiply. And so Pharaoh, he, uh, he ups his game plan, if you will. And he conjures up this scheme to kill all of the baby boys. He plans to bribe the midwives. These two midwives, Shifra and, and Pua, they would be really the uh, kind of the, the leadership of the midwives. They would represent all of the midwives of the land. And so Pharaoh, you read the story with me. He says to them, hey, whenever a Hebrew is going to have a baby, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, allow her to live. But the midwives, they feared God. They don't follow the word of the king. And so the king then ups, ups the, his game plan again. And at the end of Exodus chapter number 20, or number one, verse number 22, it says that Pharaoh just tells all the people, as soon as you see Hebrew boys, kill them. This enemy, this Pharaoh, he was attacking the people of God relentlessly, wasn't he? I mean, it, these, this, this leadership, the Egyptians at this time, they wanted nothing to do with the Hebrew people. This, the leadership, at least we know that. And the Pharaoh, he was just a relentless in his attack, and he was the enemy of God's people at the time. And I just want to make the comparison today and say this, that just as Pharaoh was an enemy who attacked the people of God, we also have an enemy that attacks the people of God. And I want us to understand some things about our enemy. And just so we're all on the same page, this maybe doesn't get preached on as much as it should. But you and I, we have an enemy that we face each and every day. And the devil and his demonic forces, they abs he absolutely hates you and he hates me. The devil is against all of mankind, not just God's people. But I believe from our passage we can see just some, some correlations, if you will, of how the, uh, the devil attacks us the same way that Pharaoh attacked God's people. What do we see from our passage? I mean, what are the reasons or the ways that the enemy attacked? I see first off this morning that the enemy fears what God's people can do. In our passage, Pharaoh, he said, come now, verse number 10, come on, let us deal wisely with them unless, lest they multiply and it come to, come to pass that they join up with our enemies and they conquer us. Pharaoh feared what would happen if God's people went against him. And this morning, I want us to understand that our enemy, he too fears the same thing. Did you know the devil, the devil he fears you when you're walking with God. The devil fears you. Not because of you and your strength, but because of the strength of the Lord that empowers you and helps you. This is why James chapter four, it says that if you resist the devil, you know what the devil will do? He will flee from you. But he's gonna come back. And I see this morning that their enemy 
feared what them as the people of God could do. And the same thing is true in your life and my life, that your enemy, he fears what God can do through you. I see, secondly, that the enemy, he tries to burden the people of God. Verse number 11, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. You know, our enemy has a way of increasing our burdens through life. You know, the devil loves, listen, your enemy, the devil, he loves for you and I to feel like we are alone in this world. He loves for us to feel like we have to carry everything. The devil loves to climb up on your shoulder and lie and tell you that God has abandoned you. Why? Because he wants to, listen, the devil wants the situations of this life to burden you down. You know what the devil loves? He loves Christians that stress and worry a lot. He loves it. The devil loves for you to doubt. The devil loves for you to complain about your situation. The devil loves for you to neglect and to uh, negate the things that you know God would have you be doing. The devil loves that. Why? Because he wants you and I to feel the, the pressures of life. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11, a passage we come to often, when Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are labor, that labor and are he- that have weariness, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're gonna find rest unto your souls. Do you know why the Lord said that? Because he knows that the devil is gonna come to you and say, God doesn't have that health situation. God can't handle the financial situation. God gave up on you just like that person gave up on you. That's what the devil does. Our enemy, he burdens down God's people. I see this morning, the enemy, he fears what God's people can do, especially when they're walking with the Lord. The enemy burdens down God's people, but I see thirdly that the enemy is relentless. In the passage... Pharaoh, verse 12 through 14, it says that the more they afflicted them, the more the people grew. And so what did Pharaoh do? He came up with a new plan. They increased the servitude. They made the people serve with, the word in there twice in just a couple of verses, is to serve with rigor. That word rigor, it means with severity and cruelty. And for a while, for the Pharaoh, for a little bit of time, it seemed like his plan to control the people was working. But when his plan seemed to be slipping, he tightened his grip. This morning, we need to recognize that your enemy, the devil, he does the same in your life. He wants to tighten his grip. He wants to up his game, if you will. He wants to bring a new attack, if you will. I agree with many scholars and and Bible studying people, and perhaps you do as well, that I personally don't believe, and I believe I could prove this from Scripture, that the devil and demons, they cannot possess someone who's saved. Once you have Christ in you, the Holy Spirit is there. The devil cannot possess a, a a, a, a saved believer, a Christian. 
But the devil, the devil does like to oppress believers. And even though James chapter four says that if you submit to God and resist the devil, that the devil will flee, what I stated a minute ago, the devil will come back. Why? He is relentless. And he's gonna come back harder and he's going to come back stronger. Because the devil, biblically, we know this to be true. He studies mankind. He can't read your mind. The devil can't read your mind. He can't get in there and know what you're thinking. But the devil knows what you're thinking by your actions because the devil is not an idiot. I'm gonna say that again. The devil's not an idiot. He's been dealing with mankind and tempting mankind for thousands of years. Many of you, you have, you have mastered a craft and it's only taken you 10 years, 15 years to become that welder or that electrician or to become uh, that construction or that master craftsman or to become really fast and fluent in typing and in office administration. It's just taken you a couple of years. Hey, imagine if you had a thousand years at one craft and multiply that to 8,000, 10,000 years. The devil's good at what he does. You know, one thing he's not gonna do, he's not gonna quit. He'll flee from you, but he's coming back. Hey, that's something you need to recognize this week that may, maybe this last week, you had a great week. Hey, the devil's coming back this week. Today, you might have a great day. That worship time that we just had in, in song, and we're, we're doing more worship tonight. We have tonight our night of worship, night of praise. It's gonna be a great day. I'm already looking forward to just the worship that, that is going to take place in my life. And it's gonna be a good day, but the devil's not gonna quit. He can come back tomorrow. He's relentless. I see tonight, or this morning, excuse me, that the devil, he fears what God's people can do. The devil, if you look at that second thought, he burdens God's people down. Number three, he, the enemy, is relentless. And number four, I just wanna summarize it by saying this. The devil, the enemy, he hates everything and everyone associated with God. 1 Peter chapter five and verse number eight, it tells us to be sober, to be attentive, to be vigilant, to be discerning. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, he walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, Pharaoh, in our passage, Pharaoh grew increasingly hateful toward the people of God. And your enemy, he is growing increasingly hateful toward you and toward your God. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because the devil has always wanted to take out the people of God. Whether it was a Pharaoh in 1700 BC or a Hitler in the 1900s, the devil is always out to destroy the people of God. In the life of a believer, we need to know that, the, that Satan, he wants to destroy all of mankind did you know that today? Did you know that the devil literally hates all of mankind? You say, well, pastor, what about the people who are devil worshipers? And what about the people who have uh, their satanic temples? Uh, the devil hates them too. <laughs> He'll just use them. He'll use them to, to cause division. He uses the, the occult and all of those things to draw attention away from God. Why? Because man was made in God's image. And God loves mankind. So the devil hates mankind. 
Think about this. The devil, he, while he's a genius, sometimes he doesn't change his tactics with all of mankind. I mean, back then, the devil was trying to, or the, the devil through the Pharaoh was trying to annihilate a civilization through an evil act of killing babies. And yet we're still seeing that evil in our day. One man said it this way, evil is that society that treats its most innocence, innocent with such violence. I think about our country and our lesson we just covered in our growth groups this last week. The sanctity of life. I recognize in a room like this today, there's varied opinions. I recognize this morning there are varied back, various backgrounds. But I will still lovingly say this morning that doesn't change God's word. Amen. Psalm 139 is a very specific place that helps us understand that God creates life. And it's not our place to take it. Look at Psalm 139, if you will. I wasn't gonna do this. It's not gonna be on the screen, but just wanna read this. Give you 20 minutes to turn there because you got to get through 138 Psalms. <laughs> Psalm 139, listen, listen to what the psalmist wrote. Verse number 12. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for because thou hast possessed my reins and hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You know, David is writing about, he's simply saying, hey, the very makeup of who I was, God, you were working on it before I was even there. The very DNA, God, you were working on it. Man, life is special to God. And evil is that society that treats its most innocent with such violence. Did you know America has allowed over 64 million abortions since Roe versus Wade, 64 million. And just because we have a name for it and procedures for it and classifications of it, we need to see it for what it is and understand that it is an attack from the enemy. He hates mankind. you read about the ruling in California last week? The ruling in California, it's coming up to be voted on, I believe, in their house to commit infanticide. You can kill a baby up to 28 days old in our country. And people are pushing it. 
Now, I recognize many people will go, well, it's the, it's the Democrats. Well, it's the Republicans. Well, it's my political part. Well, it's, no, you, do you know what this is? Hey, hey, don't lose sight. It's an attack of the enemy. Why? The devil wants to destroy life. And again, I recognize in here, there are people in here, I, I don't know everybody's story, but a group this size, no doubt there are people who have been at a, a wide range of, of thoughts on the issue. And there are people who perhaps in here have even gone through and maybe had an abortion. I'm not talking about the past. I'm not talking about that. I'm so thankful for the grace and the love of God. I'm trying to talk about now where we see through all the smoke screens that the devil sets in place. And we say, man, this is an attack from the devil. This is an attack from the enemy. Why? Because he hates you and he hates life. He hates mankind. I see this morning an attack against God's people and we need to recognize that the enemy is against all of mankind and he hates you and he hates me. So amidst all of these attacks, what should the attitude of God's people be? That's what what I'm wondering. I mean, I'm coming to a passage like this and I'm like, all right, I'm seeing Pharaoh kill off all the Hebrews, trying to annihilate them, trying to do this. God, what should the attitude of your people be? And in the passage, we meet two midwives, Shifra and Pua. How'd you like those for names? I don't know about you, but I'm not picking those. You know, anybody that's having a baby, I'm just saying probably wouldn't go to Exodus chapter one and pick a name. But we meet in the passage, Shifra and Pua, and both of these midwives, the Bible tells us this. It says in the, the, in the middle of these verses, verse 15 through 20, I won't read all of them. It just simply helps us understand that they feared God. You see it, the midwives, they feared God and they did not as the king had commanded them. Why? Because they feared God. Shifra and Pua, these two midwives, They recognized that they would rather obey God than obey man. They recognized they would rather fear and follow God than fear and follow the enemy. And this phrase, this word fear, it means to have a a holy reverence and respect for. It means to, yes, be fearful of, understanding that his judgment is greater, but it means to have a deep reverence and concern for. They understood it was greater for them to obey God than to obey man. The same thing that the disciples understood in Acts chapter number five and verse number 29 when Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. These midwives, they were this way because they feared or morally revered God greater than the voice of the enemy. They chose to listen to the voice of God rather than the voice of Pharaoh. They knew what God would have them to do and what did they do? They did it. They were faced with a, A life-altering decision. Do we obey Pharaoh or do we obey God? And you know what's interesting? We look at it and we like read. We like read about months and years in just a few verses. So we read about it and we know the end of the story. Can I help you understand something about scripture? When you go through and you read it, those who are living it, they didn't know the end of the story. Daniel didn't know that the lions weren't going to eat him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know that the furnace wasn't going to kill them. Shifra and Pua, Pua, I just don't want to say that. It's just weird, you know? 
you all were thinking it. Might as well just might as well throw it out there and address it. You know, you know they weren't they weren't thinking. They weren't thinking. Oh, this will all turn out well. You know what they were thinking? I just gotta follow God. I don't I don't know what the consequence will be. I just gotta follow God. This was an easy decision for them, and they didn't know what would be the outcome. But we know from our passage, verse 21, that God, he blessed their faith, didn't he? And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. That phrase, made them houses, it means that he established their families and their houses. Some Bible scholars believe that these midwives in this generation, they would have been midwives if they couldn't have children. So if you were barren and couldn't have a child, you would become a midwife because then you would still get to be a part of the raising process. And so many believe that when this verse says that God made them houses, that these who were barren were able to have children and blessed by God. And I I don't know if we can dive into that and say that that's true, but listen, that's like God. Because why? Because God just blesses faith. He just blesses people who say, God, I'm just gonna fear and follow you. And that blessing may look differently and I'm not telling uh, the, the barren, maybe there's someone barren today, I'm not telling you, go be a midwife and God will bless your life. I'm not telling you that. I'm just sim- simply saying with every single person, you know what God does? God blesses people who fear and follow him. And in this passage, here's what I say, what a dilemma, but what a decision. Man, these two people not knowing what God would do, understanding that, or not knowing what the enemy would do, and yet they just said, we choose to fear God rather than man. They had made this great decision, and what a a difference maker they were. If you know the story of Exodus, and we'll discover next week, they made a difference that would literally affect all of the Hebrew people. They made a difference that would affect generations to come. They made a difference that would affect the, the very Messiah coming into this world. I don't know. I don't think they were sitting there thinking, you know, I bet this decision's gonna have a huge impact. No, you know what they were thinking? Man, this is a tough one, but you know what? It's easy. Well, why is it easy, someone would say? It's because it's, Listening to God or listening to the enemy? And we know our history. God's always taken care of us. God's always come through. God's always blessed. The enemy, he hasn't done that. And so this is where we come to the final thought today, and that's the admonition to God's people. What does this mean for us today? Our admonition, our challenge is simple today. It's whose voice will I listen to? Whose voice will you listen to? You see, difference makers, they choose to fear and follow the voice of God. They choose to believe that God has far greater than the enemy. They choose to follow God and believe that. As you and I look at this passage before us today, we know that God blessed their decision. It was true in their life and it's true in our life as well that God, he always blesses our decisions to serve and follow him. 
Egypt. They thought that they were keeping the people of Israel under control, but the more the people of God were oppressed, the more they grew. God, you know what he does? God always has a way of turning the plans of the enemy upside down, especially when God's people fear and follow him. So I wanna close with a challenge for you and I today. And I wanna simply ask you this, as you and I journey through this life, as you journey through this week, whose, whose voice will you listen to? You see, the devil, he's going to attack you through various ways this week and through various sources. And the devil, uh, his attacks, they may look differently in our lives. We know they do than the lives of these people of God in Exodus chapter number one. But the fact of the matter remains the same, that the, the, the enemy's goal is to demean, listen, the devil's, the devil's goal in your life is to demean your life and to help you understand and to, to help you see maybe that you have no value and that you are worthless and that you, God could possibly not, couldn't possibly love you you because the devil understands that when a child of God, hey, when a child of God is fearing God and walking with God, that's when the devil says, man, I don't want to go around that because he knows of God's strength and God's grace that is in you. No wonder the devil fights so hard to keep you out of scripture. No wonder he fights so hard to keep you from spending time in prayer. No wonder the devil fights so hard and brings up all the many attractions of this world to fight your attention to church and your attention to the spirit of God. I mean, his attacks, they're going to come relentlessly through friends and influences and circumstances and failures and grief and heartache and loss and missed opportunities and financial hurts and struggles, health situations, family situations, cultural struggles, challenges, and so many other ways. The devil, he's going to scream into your voice to give in to the enemy. And through all of these, we have to choose who do we listen to? Because you have on one side, you have the voice of the Lord. And he's saying, hey, stay faithful. Hey, choose righteousness. Love unconditionally. Forgive consistently. Hey, follow closely. You have the voice of the, of the Lord saying, I know you don't see it now, but trust me, just trust me. And on the other side, you have the voice of the enemy who says doubt constantly. He says, follow your flesh. He says, give in to your biases and your bitternesses. He said, hey, sin, it's pleasant. So go ahead and sin frequently. Hey, believer, why don't you go ahead and distance yourselves from the Lord? Hey, God forgot about you. I could keep going, couldn't I, of all the voices and the things that the devil speaks into your life and my life. Whose voice will you listen to? Will you choose to fear and follow God or to fear and follow the enemy? When the voice of culture screams out that following the Lord is a crutch and a distraction, who will you listen to? When events and hobbies and sports scream out for first place in your family's life, who will you give in to and who will you follow after? 
When entertainment tries to convince you to give entertainment a greater voice and entrance into your life than the voice of Christ, will you choose to follow after and pursue after entertainment and the the cultural uh, 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 grip of this world? Or will you choose to follow Christ? See, the fact of the matter is this, that if you're gonna be a difference maker in the lives of those around you, then we have to understand that difference makers, they choose to fear and follow the voice of God over the voice of the enemy. They see the attacks of the enemy for what they are. They understand that the enemy, he doesn't play fair and the enemy doesn't go away. They know that regardless of what comes, the enemy, he is relentless and he is the one who will burden you down. But difference makers, they step back and they see it for what it is and say, well, I don't know what's gonna come of this, but I know I trust him. And so I'm gonna stay close to him. I'm gonna fear and follow the Lord. I'm gonna give his voice entrance into my life through his word and through prayer. I'm gonna give his voice entrance into my life through worship and music that magnifies and glorifies him. I'm gonna give God voice and entrance into my life by building around me people who are going to encourage me in the Lord and help me in the Lord. I'm gonna give him entrance into my life by staying faithful to church and faithful uh, to my growth group and faithful to give God permission to speak into my life. Whose voice will you listen to? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.